The reality of our Lenten message has been crystal clear these past few days. Everyone agrees that what happened in Parkland, Florida on Valentine's Day, on Ash Wednesday, is a tragedy. It's heartbreakingly real. We're angry about this. We're confused, we're sad, we worry about our children, about our community and our schools. We worry about our country. Is this really who we are? And of course, we don't want these things to happen again. We know this, but we aren't quite sure where to begin or what is best. Regardless, the resounding cry I've heard over the past few days is, we've got to do something. Something is better than nothing, right? So, of course, we pray that God would shower His grace upon anyone involved. As hard as it is, we pray for the shooter and those who knew him. We pray for the victims, families, and friends, and that community who is suffering, anyone who's been affected by this tragedy. We all agree this event is terrible. Enough is enough, I've heard. We all kind of sense as well that there's got to be a way to prevent these sorts of things from happening again. The problem is we all have different opinions as to what is the right solution. And of course, it's not just with this recent event, but every time something like this occurs, the same issues are brought up to the surface. And it gets us fired up. It gets us talking, right? It's a matter of gun control. We need more laws. It's a matter of mental health or emotional well-being. We need counselors in schools. It's a matter of radicalism or terrorism or racism or sexism. All of those things are important conversations to have. And full disclosure, I am not an expert in those fields by any means. Like you, I have opinions. And if you want to grab a coffee after church and talk about it, I'm more than willing to do so. But as we gather here today in the church, as God's people, we have to have a decidedly different kind of conversation. A conversation, I pray, will affect the other conversations we have. While the world, in seeking to understand why these tragic events happen, sometimes we might feel content to label the problem and think it's done. It's about this. It's about that. You know, those things, as important as they are, I believe are only on the surface of what the truth really is. I feel we have to go deeper underneath those issues And that's not a fun place to go. Because what if the terrible tragedies we see on TV, that we pray never make it to our own backyard, what if they are caused by something a little closer to the chest? I find it easy to blame other people. I blame gun laws. I blame the administration. I blame social media for being a conduit of mostly negative attitudes. But at the end of the day, the problem is really with people. People are behind everything. And people, as you and I know, are sinful. Sadly, these problems that we experience, the evil that we see welling up in the world, has always been around. Ever since Eve took a bite of that apple, ever since Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy, Evil and tragic events have been part of our history. They've just manifested themselves in different ways. And the best solution, I'm convinced, until Jesus returns, 
is to do what Christ commanded us to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Every neighbor, every time. This is a command from our God, and it's a good one. This is something we can talk about in church, because it illustrates that no one, no one is exempt from blame when it comes to the problems of the world. That is the message of Lent that is crystal clear to me these past few days. From the ashes you may have put on your head on Ash Wednesday, to the wood and the nails and the blood on the cross, our time in Lent is spent in songs and prayers and scripture readings that illustrate and point out God's laws and our inability to keep them. They force us to wrestle with our sin and Christ's suffering for it. Our sins leave us utterly alone. Without Christ, left to ourselves, we are left without God in our sin. And because of our sin, because of our hurtful words and actions, we end up isolating other people. Because of the sinful condition of the world and the people who live in it, we are subject to experiencing evil, to being cut off, to being separated, to feeling all alone. I know I've felt this way. I know you've felt this way. We do develop ways of coping with it. From the simple, uh, I'm doing fine, as you greet someone. Or perhaps to a highly filtered, perfectly timed social media selfie, which is intended to proclaim to the world, I've got it all together. But you know you. And God knows you. He sees you. He sees your hearts. He sees your hurts. God saw Adam, before sin was in the world, by the way, all by himself, and God said, that's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. So God provided a helper for him. God designed us for relationships. God created people for people. I've seen these uh, quotes floating around these past few days. Perhaps you have too. This first one says, he was that weird kid in school. He didn't talk much, and no one talked to him. That was from a student in Parkland, Florida. And then this one, which says, the human race isn't worth fighting for. Nothing means anything anymore. From a number of years back, a quote from one of the shooters at Columbine. Now, I bring these up not to justify anything but perhaps to cause us to really wrestle with how these statements came to be made. I don't think we should dismiss anything from our conversations. Laws are important. Mental health, emotional well-being are important. Technology and its use, hopefully for good, are important. But until we solve the people problem, none of those things are going to bring the cure we hope for. In preparing for today's sermon, um, as maybe many of you did, I ran across a bunch of different articles about this uh, tragic event in Florida. I saw one article, though, that that really gave me hope, and I wanted to share it with you. It describes a mother's encounter with uh, her son's teacher, um, believe it or not. Uh, The mother went to her teacher looking for some guidance to help teach her son math at home. 
um, she came out with uh, a lot more, something more profound. This article, uh, I can try to share with you later where it's from. It's from Reader's Digest. Um, One teacher's brilliant strategy to stop future school shootings, and it's not about guns. In the middle of this article, the teacher explained to the mother that every Friday afternoon, she asks her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children with whom they'd like to sit the following week. The children know that these requests may or may not be honored. She also asked the students to nominate one student who they believe has been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All ballots are privately submitted to her. And every single Friday afternoon, after the students go home, she takes out these slips of paper, places them in front of her, and studies them. She looks for patterns. Who is not getting requested by anyone else? Who can't think of anyone to request? Who never gets noticed enough to be nominated? Who had a million friends last week and none this week? She writes, you see, Chase's teacher isn't looking for a new seating chart or exceptional citizens. Chase's teacher is looking for lonely children. She's looking for children who are struggling to connect with other kids. She's identifying the little ones who are falling through the cracks of the class's social life. She is discovering whose gifts are going unnoticed by their peers. And she's pinning down right away who's being bullied and who is doing the bullying. Individuality and autonomy, these are things that our culture tends to celebrate and desire. But they often lead to isolation or isolating others. And that's not the way God designed us to be. People need people. People need people to care for and to be cared by. And I fear when we lose sight of this, when when we lose sight of what it means to be human, to be created in God's image, things aren't going to work. When we forget that humans need one another to help one another, things will and have gone very wrong. We learned in our epistle reading for today, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, at the core of every sin is a selfish desire. A belief that I am more important than you, that I have more important things to do, that I have a better understanding of what you need and how things work. And I am simply more important than anyone else. Uh, just this past Friday, all my girls are sick, by the way. Please keep them in your prayers. We took them to the doctor yesterday morning. All fevers. Um, but uh, it all came to a head Friday night at 3 a.m. I call it a mini moment of mass chaos. My wife and I are woken up to the sound of coughing and hacking and crying. One of them is inconsolable. The other is throwing up in the toilet. The other one is, well, she was fine. She slept through it all. But we couldn't handle it. We were there in this moment trying to deal with what was going on, and I felt something strange. I felt myself getting angry. I was angry at my kids for being sick. I was angry at them for needing me at 3 a.m. in the morning. I know that was my selfish desire coming out. 
I'm tired. I don't have time for this. Why do they need me? Can't they take care of themselves? Can't you just calm down? I didn't say those things, of course. But this was my family, right? This was, these were my daughters. If I couldn't be compassionate when they needed me to be their father, how can I be compassionate to a stranger? How could I give a stranger my time or attention or my love when I can't do it with those I love the most? Yet we are called to do just that, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are supposed to be different, to live differently. James, from that same epistle reading, ends, Of God's own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. A kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are creatures who should not be governed by sin or instinct or desire but rather led by God's Holy Spirit. It's easy, isn't it, to give in to temptation. It's natural to think of me first. That's why James also says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I had our last class with our 8th grade confirmation students this last week, and we were looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you recall it. Uh, It's about a man who was going down a road, and he was happened upon by some robbers, some thieves, who took everything he had, they stripped him, they beat him, they left him for dead. And then two of this man's own countrymen, one of them a pastor, comes and finds him, and instead of helping, they walk by on the other side of the road. But then a foreigner, a stranger, an enemy, a Samaritan comes and sees the man in need. He gets off his donkey, binds the man's wounds, perhaps with his own cloth, his own clothing, puts him on the donkey, takes him into town, pays the innkeeper to care for him, and says, if you incur any more expenses while I'm away, let me know. I will pay for them. Then Jesus says, after telling this story, he says, go. And do likewise. But we haven't done that. We haven't done that. And then I asked our 8th grade students to change the story up a bit. I'm not for changing scripture. Okay, God's word is God's word. But in this moment, I wanted them to substitute the man who was robbed and beaten for someone they might know. Perhaps give a name to this man. Someone in their class or on their team who might be a little different, who might find themselves alone, and then tell that story as if that person was robbed of their dignity, attacked verbally or even physically, and perhaps left feeling as if they would be better off dead. And then substitute your name for both the ones who walked by and did nothing, and for the Good Samaritan. And then tell this story to yourself. Because this is our story. When we hear the truth from Jesus that we are to be as the Samaritan and have compassion, we need to take this to heart. First and foremost, this parable, of course, is about Jesus, not about us. Jesus is the one who has come, who was an enemy, a foreigner. He was rejected by his own people, yet he got down off the donkey. 
He gave everything he has. He gave his very life to make sure we would live. But you and me, as baptized children of God, ones who have been given new life, ones who are a part of the blessings promised to Abraham, a great and mighty nation, children of God, we are to do as Jesus does. In that same storytelling, Jesus tells us that the two greatest commandments, the two greatest truths you can ever know in this life, are one, love God with all that you are, and two, he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, tells you the two most important things are to love God and love your neighbor. And who is my neighbor? The young man who asked Jesus about eternal life asks this question. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? He asks it in order to find out the minimum requirements for his love and service. But Jesus turns the tables on him and us as well. Essentially, he says, that's not the right question. You don't get to decide who your neighbor is or who is worthy of your love. You are to be a neighbor to anyone you find in the road. If you notice someone, they are your neighbor. And that's the lonely kid in school. That's the coworker who's always angry or bitter. That's the mother who says, I've got it all together, but she's really falling apart. That's the child who whines, who gets angry, who throws a tantrum. Maybe they just need you to stop and be still. Maybe all of us need to get off our phones and look up. Maybe we need to get into our neighborhoods. Maybe we need to look people in the eye and see them. Maybe we need to listen more to people. To know their name. To tell them ours. To talk with them, not at them. To slow down. Hold their hand. Give yourself to them. People need people. We need Christ most of all, but you can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this world. You need each other here in this place. Someone needs you and you need someone too. Christ came for the sick, for the outcast, for the lonely, for the disheartened, for the forgotten. And only He can truly help them and bind up their wounds, but He has invited you to be a part of that. I was talking to my two oldest daughters the other day. It came to that point, we had to have a talk about how they were treating one another. Uh, Yes, it's true. They are siblings and they fight. And so I thought we should look up Galatians 5 as a part of our conversation where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And I think this entire section actually speaks well to what we're talking about today. Paul says, you see, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of flesh are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and more. I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I told my girls, I said, you can't get in trouble for loving each other and being kind and good to each other. And Paul continues, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So I think that I am where you are. Something needs to change in this country, in our world. Can laws help? Yes. Can doctors and counselors help? Of course. Can education and awareness and security and protection help? Definitely. But laws will not change the world. Love will change the world. Love is what brought Jesus down to earth. Love is what compelled Jesus to associate with sinners and have compassion on the forgotten. Love is what kept Jesus silent in front of his accusers so that love might keep him to a cross, so that he might forgive your sins. Love is what enables us to forgive one another. Love brings healing and growth. Love is what will last. Love is what we need and need to give. Love will bring us and keep us together. And this isn't a task you can do alone. We need each other. To love one another. God has formed his church on this gospel. On the good news of Christ's love for the world. He forgives our sins. He gives to you the Holy Spirit. So that together. As his church. As his people. We can show the world the truth of God's love. In Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. It's a little out of the ordinary. It might be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to stand up and move to the closest human you can find. Get as close to that person as you can. If you have to move, move. If you have to go across the aisle, go across the aisle. And then once you've found that person, link arms or hold hands or put a hand on a shoulder. Simply be there together. And then please pray with me. Lord God, we are angry that the evil in this world is in our face. We fear it may come closer to us. Stop it, Lord. Let it continue no longer. 
Create in us clean hearts. Help us to not look to our own selfish desires, but to the needs of others. Empower us to be good neighbors. Encourage us to get down and help, to notice, to love as you love, to serve as you serve. Lord, grant healing and peace and mercy to us and to those in need, and use us together.